The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. A big play for sports streaming. Fox, Warner Brothers, Discovery, and Disney are all teaming up. The perfect world is where I can watch every single game that I want to see, and I still don't have that. This gets you much closer. What this partnership means for fans and how they watch with sports entrepreneur Rich Kleiman. It's obviously in reaction to what we know is inevitable with cable long term, but there's still a lot of questions to be answered. Big questions like how much will it cost and what will they call it? Who do you pay to come up with the name? Consultants. A consultant and how much does it cost? Five million. Nineteen ninety nine. You go on to Chat GPT. <laughs> That big sports story today, plus Minneapolis Fed President Neil Kashkari is reading the economy's signals. It's good news, but the Fed is playing wait and see. The economy is showing up to be remarkably resilient. Consumer spending is staying strong. The labor market is staying strong, as evidenced by the really strong jobs report on Friday. It's Wednesday, February 7th, 2024. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one. Cue it, please. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We are live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here we go. Let's get right to the alliance that could change the way viewers watch sports. Disney's ESPN, Fox and Warner Brothers Discovery all teaming up to launch a joint sports streaming service later this year. The yet-to-be-named platform is going to be offering content from all major sports leagues, the NCAA, FIFA and more, with all three partners having one-third ownership. The big question now for consumers, how much will it cost? No details on that just yet, but subscribers will be able to bundle the new service with Disney+, Plus, Hulu, and Max. The new service will try to capture those that don't subscribe to pay TV. News of this deal also coming uh, has Disney and Warner are both negotiating packages with the NBA. So how the leagues will react to this team-up be critical to success. The NBA already out with a statement, something we're going to hear a lot more about. Of course, our parent, com- our parent company, NBC and NBC Sports, not part of this uh, transaction, at least at the moment. Uh, similarly, Paramount Global, CBS, which has uh, the NFL rights um, for some evenings. And now, of course, there you have Amazon and Apple. I mean, this reminds you so much of Hulu, different timing, different set partners on some of this. But, you know, as they're paying off, to buy Comcast out of the Hulu deal. I guess the question is, is this more successful because it comes from the sports side of things? This because just adds, so much more they could have the same headache they have with Hulu right now. What, they, three I, partners. I don't even know if this. Yeah. Uh, Look, the, I, the perfect world is where I can watch every single game that I want to see. And I still don't have that. And I don't understand why I can't watch. Like on, on NFL, I guess I could do Red Zone or this something. This gets you much closer. Yeah, well, and that's where we're headed. The, and, I think this is the beginning of the end of the bundle. To me, right. to me. The cable bundle. Cable bundle. Yes. Yeah. And the it's great, a streaming bundle. Well, and the great, the the great, the the great danger, bundle. in truth, is, you know, for the Paramounts, for, for NBCU, for others who are not part of this, depending on how you think the competitive landscape shakes out, 
and if people decide to buy just one thing over another, that's where, to me, it gets super complicated super, super quick. I also think that this package may ultimately get sold in with Amazon, which may, be, may get interesting. So Amazon can get its own piece. Interestingly... Wait, you think Amazon partners up with this? Well, the way Amazon, Amazon has become a hub for selling everything. So they're selling Showtime, they're selling Paramount, they're selling HBO Max. What happens is if you're a Prime subscriber and that's how you, if you live in that orbit, you're then uh, effectively being upsold all of these other products. This product is one of the products that I imagine can get upsold. If through, you already have that. three partners, what are the financial Well, so, the, so I, I've done that. a lot of reporting on this and yeah. spent a whole bunch of, phone, of time on the phone last night. This product is not going to be a cheap product. So well, that's like 100 bucks at least, right? Oh, I doubt it's going to be 100 bucks. I think it's going to be probably closer to 40 or maybe $50 at, at most. It, however, a month. However, all, yeah, a month. Of, all yeah. of these networks, have, maybe it's 40, maybe it'll be 35, whatever it is, it's not going to be $10. But the piece that's most important is, you know, all of these networks, we're talking about Warner or Disney or um, uh, Fox, have carriage deals on traditional cable. Right. And they are what, have what's called favored nation status clauses in all of them. So if, if Comcast is paying, you tell me, for ESPN per month, right, that goes they, can't to, charge, that goes to... they can't charge less than that as part of this next package. Now, sports is an interesting business. It's, it's not just catering to the wealthy. Or, 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 so you, that's the other piece of this. The question is, this could become a very expensive package. Having said that, they're also saying they're going to package up other parts of their own products with well, this. So, one and all the other ones. Yeah. Right. No, no, but I'm saying you're, no, you might, you might end up getting CNN as part of this, depending on how, depending on how Warner wants to do well, it. Well, I hope so, because right now, this is just going to be, a, a, I'm going to keep everything, and I'd have to pay for this on top of everything. I, I can't get rid of anything and just have this. And, and I, very few people, that's, that's the goal down the road, I guess. Right? I, I think the key is what just, you mentioned before. It's saving me any money. What is the what are the sports it will cost think me about money? This? Well, the yeah. saving the money, the, 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 it's, not it's not going to save you money. It's not going to save you any money. No, we have to add this. To, yeah. to there's else two markets for this. This is for either people who've already cut the cord, and don't have access to sports, or this is to try to capture people who are about to cut cut the cord and they want to try to keep them. The question is whether this accelerates, to me. Yeah. Right. The cutting of the cord. That to me is the big question. Now the other piece People of this is cut it. Don't care. They've got you have you have this. I don't want to call it a three-headed monster, but you have a, a, a three different companies that own this businesses. My understanding is that they own the business equally. Right. So all of them own the, <laughs> the the business equally. However, the economics of the business are completely unequal. So ESPN, which is going to be the lion's share of, of the business, could be 60, 70 percent of the business, means that 60 or 70 percent of the revenue, it's going to be what you, what you contribute in is what you contribute out. So what are so the, what are if the you have ES, If ESPN is 60 or 70 percent of the business, and, if, and by the way, let's say Warner Brothers doesn't get the NBA. Well, guess what? Their share of this whole thing Rocks. on an economic yeah. basis, not on a voting basis, but an economic right. basis, becomes smaller. It's like an accordion. Or if they buy the rights to something else, then they can make it even well, like bigger. I said, this worked well with Hulu, not. Like, the, the, the idea of how you keep three parties happy through all of this. And I think what you've mentioned before is probably the key, too. How do the leagues react to this if you well, have... The, the NBA seemed to be relatively happy about it, it, se it seemed like to me. I'm still wondering what Lena Khan is thinking this morning. So, you know, <laughs> this is not a classic yeah. merger, of course. This yeah. is a strategic partnership, but she started to look at strategic partnerships in different ways. Including the AI, the open AI and Microsoft deal. I would think if you're the DOJ or Lena Khan, this is a bad case to bring, because the truth is 
all of these three companies are still going to going to have to act completely independently in terms of buying up sports That's rights and everything. I'm just saying. But I think these, to me, are the sort of big issues. And I imagine we're going to hopefully have an opportunity to talk to Hugh Johnson directly about this. And I'm sure that Julia Borston, who's going to be talking to Bob Iger later today, will be able to talk about it as well. Take great pains to point out that all of ESPN's other plans with these tie-ups, with leagues, and all that—none of that is taken off the table from this either. So it's going to even get more complicated, right? So, right. There's still the opportunity, or at least Disney would like there plug. to be an opportunity for there to be a deal with either some of the leagues or some technology companies, and that there could be a separate DTC play, the direct-to-consumer play, for ESPN. Two last things. All of these things, even though they're the same price, meaning they have to charge the same price, in the short term are going to be lower margin products for all of these companies, Walt Disney, Fox, right. Warner, because they have to charge too. for the no, but they have to charge for the marketing, yeah. and they have to build the systems to do all of this. Right. So even if they're getting ten dollars, if they were getting ten dollars a month from the cable carrier, or they're getting ten dollars a month direct to consumer, the ten dollars a month direct to consumer There's is actually profit. less money right. in the yeah. short term. Now maybe over the long term, it's a better relationship. You could be able to upsell them other things and things like that, but that's the, the rub. But it, it also, you know, to finally make some money doing this, they got to, like, pool their resources, too. The, the only people who are really going to do well are at least the, some people that will. The athletes, this is going, you know, this is going to make everyone even more valuable. I, they used to say, you know, don't have your kid only, you know, playing hoops or something like that because so few make it. I think you should go back to making sure you're... Oh, that's I think you happened. should make. Yeah, that's make sure happened. your kid. You can't. You, you can't see, make it on a high school team if you're not playing your your sport 11 months did, out of the year. Did you see the, the the NBA going to be worth triple the last deal, 78 billion, yeah. supposedly for 10 years. But back to my original point, it, because of betting, right. which also plays into all this, because that's why things are so much. Better. And so it, we got to get all that. the states, huh? I'm so mad about that. No, because of betting, I would like to be able to watch every game. And, and on, on Sundays, well, I can't. You're going to pay through the nose, and that's. Well, that's fine, but you know. And by the way, if you're willing to, to lose NBA. twenty or thirty bucks on a game betting on it, you should be willing to I'm not, spend no, no, sixty no. or seventy bucks a month to watch right. them. I don't. No, I don't lose twenty I mean, that, or thirty. But I, I'm saying that's the calculus. I had that a five. Do, I had a five dollar bet last night. I almost won two hundred dollars. I missed one thing on, on the Houston game. I took the under instead of the. You're going to be you're gonna need your winnings to pay for pay for your viewing habits. And the weird thing I think is the stock reaction this morning. The the idea that Disney's actually down one percent because obviously they're doing this as a way to try and. Under a hundred. Yeah, under a hundred. Might too. be an earnings uh, yeah, sort of that's anxiety around earnings. Yeah, yeah it's we'll coming. There but under a hundred, that's well below it was where Fox and Warner Brothers up. Right, where uh, Iger came back, it was well above. It was well above a hundred. Next on Squawk Pod, Minneapolis Fed President Neil Kashkari reading the economic data to decide where our interest rates go from here. I think this is a, a good problem to have, but we're trying to figure out some of these mixed economic signals. Why he's calling our economy remarkably resilient and what he and his colleagues at the Fed, including Chair Jay Powell, are waiting for. We're not looking for better inflation data. We're just looking for additional inflation data that is also at around this 2% level. We'll be right back. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. 
Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Stand by, Joe. Here's Mike. Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan, along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And ESPN, Fox, and Warner Brothers Discovery are launching a sports streaming service this fall. It's going to include offerings from at least 15 networks and all four major professional sports. A name and pricing will be announced at a later date. And you know, it's expensive to name something. They pay, and we've made fun of people that spend a lot, and then they just do like a combination of the two. There's no combo. Or a brand new, or a brand new word. That Gotta be a brand new name. Like Venator? Venator or, or Verizon. Verizon. Um, but you can't do a Warner's, Espen, Fox. There's no, that's not gonna work. It's gonna have to be new. So I could see paying a lot for this. It's important. You got any ideas? No. It's hard. It's hard work. It's hard work be, being a decider in the strategy. something that already exists on ESPN. It's going to be hard. It's worth yeah, how much. It can upset the others. Right. Sports Center. No, but you got to pay how much How much you got to pay, you think, for that. Name. And who do you go to for that? Where do you it's advertise package, it? I think, it's a thir- I think it's $39.99. No, no. Who do you go for the name? Who do you pay to come up with the name? Consultants. A consultant. And how much does it cost? Five million dollars. Nineteen ninety-nine, and you go on to ChatGPT. Yeah. <laughs> That's a Why good don't idea. you try that? <laughs> when are you going to have an answer for me? Are you gonna, is it going to take a while, Sorkin? Uh, hold on. Because think, think of some ready? of the great name. You know what I was thinking is a great name? Uber. Whoever came up with that. Yeah. Okay. Hold the fort. The Triple Play Sports Bundle they're offering. Okay. All Star Sports Pass. All-Star Sports Pass. Champions League Package. Champions League Package. Ultimate Fans. Ultimate Fans. End Zone. End Zone. You know what? Victory Lap. Cable Collections. MVP Sports Suite. Arena Access Pass. This is primetime players. This is amazing. This is amazing. Global Goal Line. This is much better than I could have. You could call it the Goal Line. Yeah. That's actually pretty good. So those are 10 for now. And so that's if you're listening, twenty million dollars worth of like ridiculous McKinsey. You we know, did it in one minute. Dabble, and I think I pay nineteen ninety nine a month for your <laughs> ChatGPT. So there you have it. There's one in there that would work. It's as good as what they're going to come up with. You know possible. that. It's possible. Now I can't wait. The pressure's on. 
In a new essay this week, Minneapolis Fed President Neil Kashkari says that he thinks the Fed has time to monitor upcoming economic data before starting to cut rates. He said there's less risk that the too tight monetary policy will derail this economic recovery. Neil actually joins us right now. And uh, Neil, thank you for being here today. There have been a lot of questions in the market after uh, Jay Powell went on, the, the chairman of the Fed went on 60 Minutes over the weekend and talked a little bit about how those rate cuts basically don't expect them in March. That's been your message as well. What are you seeing right now? Well, we keep getting surprised in a good way that the economy is showing up to be remarkably resilient. Consumer spending is staying strong. The labor market is staying strong, as evidenced by the really strong jobs report on Friday. That's all really good news. And that tells me maybe monetary policy is not putting as much downward pressure on demand as we would otherwise think. And so given that, I think we can take more time, get the inflation data, see it continuing hopefully to come in uh, very attractively around our 2% target, it gives us more time to assess that data before we start reducing interest rates. And so I think this is a, a good problem to have, but we're trying to figure out some of these mixed economic signals. What would it take for you to think that rate cuts would be acceptable come May? What kind of data would you need to see leading up to that? Well, I think it's similar to what the chairman said on his 60 Minutes interview, which is we're not looking for better uh, inflation data. We're just looking for additional inflation data that is also at around this 2 percent level. The, on a six-month basis and three-month basis, inflation is already back roughly to our 2 percent target. If we get to see a few more months of that data, I think that'll give us a lot of confidence that we are well on our way back to 2 percent. And then, of course, the other side of our dual mandate is equally important, the labor market. Yeah. Hopefully, we will continue to see a very strong labor market. That that, I think, would give me confidence that now is the time to start dialing it back slowly. You need a strong labor market to suggest that it's time to dial back slowly? I mean, that's almost counterintuitive. Because well, Chairman Powell it, made the, those comments. They were taped before the jobs report on Friday. That was a really strong number. It was a really strong number. I think the, you know, there's been a lot of debate over the last few days on the speed with which we would then cut. Uh, if the labor market continues to be quite strong, that would give me confidence to say, well, we can dial things back quite slowly from here. If we saw a material slowdown in the labor market, then that would say, hey, maybe we need to start cutting rates a little bit more quickly. And so that's that's why it's the the speed of the reductions that the labor market, I think, is going to have a big influence over. So how many rate cuts are you factoring in for this year right now, given this latest information? I mean, if if, if the Fed dots plots were suggesting six rate cuts, what, what, what do you think is more likely? I mean, uh, you know, I think the we're going to put out a new dot plot in March. Uh, you know, we'll see where I'm ultimately at, given the data that we get between now and then. Sitting here today, I would say two to three cuts would seem to be appropriate for me right now. But again, I don't want to prejudge things, but that's a, that's my gut based on the data we have so far. Okay, that's a very different picture than, than what the market had been anticipating. This week, we did see the 30-year mortgage rise above 7% again for the first time since December. And, and that's a pretty significant number for homeowners. Does that concern you at all? Well, that's a great example, Becky. When we went from you know 30-year mortgage rate at 3% all the way to 8%, I would have thought that that would have slammed the brakes on the housing market. As I put in my essay that we published on Monday, remarkably, 
construction employment has continued to grow over over that time. Uh, investment in residential uh, residential investment has been roughly flat. So there has been remarkable resilience in the housing market, whether it's single family or bleeding over to multifamily. That's been surprising to me. I would have thought that seven or eight percent mortgage rates would have been uh, a bigger constraint on demand. That's also what makes me question how tight is monetary policy relative to what we consider the neutral rate in this reopening economy. The commercial real estate entire industry will tell you that they are in big trouble, at least anybody who's an owner of any of these uh, loans that need to get repriced. Anybody who's out there, maybe potentially on the sidelines, thinking they can step in and get a better bargain, wouldn't go along with that. But how much does that weigh on you? The idea that there are a lot of commercial real estate loans that, if they don't get refinanced, are, are going to be problems. And then there are banks that hold some of those commercial real estate loans. Uh, New York Community Bank Corp. Um, the pressure that we've seen it under over the last week. Well, we're paying attention very closely to it. I do want to make one adjustment to what you said. It's not commercial real estate across the board. It really is focused on the office sector. Many other segments within commercial real estate seem to be doing very well. Uh, and so that I think that that delineation is important. And we are we think it's going to be on a bank by bank basis where we see pressures flare up and our bank supervisors are in very close contact with other supervisors around the country and of course with bank management to monitor their portfolio. So it's something we're watching very carefully, but I do think most of commercial real estate is doing well. Uh, it really is just the office segment. So that is not enough for the Fed to really be concerned though. I, I, I guess the expectation is you don't think that this is a big problem that spreads through a lot of the banks? Uh, as of right now, again, it's, you, know, you never want to say never. As of right now, it does seem to be more idiosyncratic to individual banks with individual exposures rather than systemic. But again, we're monitoring it very, very carefully. You know, the other issue that people will point to is the amount of, of debt that we have as a nation and the idea of trying to sell treasuries at 5.3% versus 3%. I mean, that's a big deal, too. Does that ever come into the conversations or the thoughts at the Fed, just what happens with what we're going to have to do? Uh, not for the Fed. You know, the, the ultimately, the amount of treasuries that get issued, the amount of taxes and spending, that's up to the Congress and the U.S. Treasury Department. Our jobs are to just take those inputs and try to model what they mean and ultimately achieve our dual mandate goals. So that really, for us, is that really is the distinction between fiscal and monetary policy. Hey, Neil, if is, is growth, economic growth, by definition, do we know for sure that it's inflationary? And, and where I'm going with this uh, is that you could make the case that uh, if it's not inflationary, there's no reason to try to ever curb economic growth. You, you ought to let the good times roll. In other words, there'd be a reason, I guess, to bring rates down because you 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 know it, it, that's expensive too that's inflationary it's hard for business development so it'd be nice to keep rates as low as you could but on the other hand do you need it, do you need dry powder for the next time there is an actual slowdown to cut what is a more important force uh, for, for central bankers. Well, I think the core of what you just said, Joe, the scenario you just gave is really about productivity growth. If we do see a big boost in productivity because of AI, for example, then you would expect a higher growth rate, which is non-inflationary. And that would be really positive. And then 
you would expect then the neutral interest rate would likely be higher in that environment. And then we would adjust policy to not try to tamp down growth, but just to respond to the economic environment. So in that situation, you'd see strong growth, not a lot of inflation, and monetary policy would be supportive of that. And so I hope that's what we all, in the end, I hope that's what we end up seeing. And, you as you were watching 60 Minutes, I'm sure it, it dawned on you that there was a voiceover in the middle of it that seemed to suggest that the first interest rate cut would come in the middle of the year. And then there's a whole bunch of people who went to read the transcript of exactly what uh, Jay Powell said, and it, it wasn't exactly like that. What were you thinking when you, when you watched that part of it? Well, um, I, I, to be honest with you, I wasn't that focused on the voiceover at that time. I was focused on what the chairman was saying, and I thought the chairman was on, on his message uh, very clearly. And so uh, I didn't think much of it at the time, but I understand that it led to some questions from investors going forward. But that's why I'm glad that they put out the transcript so investors could see for themselves. And then, Neil, we ask this of, of everybody uh, often about the presidential election and, 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 you know, most folks on the Fed say, look, we can't think about the election. The election has nothing to do with uh, nothing to do with this. And we need to be seen as independent of the election. Uh, when it comes to being seen as independent of the election, you have to somehow think about it. Does it ever even come up in the conversation? It, honestly, it doesn't. The only thing that comes up in the conversation is us reminding ourselves that we must be non-political, that we must always conduct monetary policy based on what we think the economy calls for, what the data is telling us. And the only way for us to do our jobs is to hug that mast as tightly as we can. So the only time it comes up is us just reminding ourselves that's our job and we must not stray from it. So what are the next two or three data points that are going to be most critical that you'll be watching most closely? Well, it's, it's always the same. I mean, it's, it's looking at the actual inflation data. Well, let me say, let me back up. Because our models have so utterly failed to forecast the high inflation, to then forecast the disinflation, which is a good problem to have. Uh, I've been saying we just need to look at the actual inflation data to guide us. So I'm looking at the actual inflation data and then all the subcomponents that you know we look at, core inflation, uh, housing inflation, services, goods inflation, and then of course the labor market and looking at wages. And so far, so far the data has been resoundingly positive. I hope it continues. And then the question will simply be, at what pace do we then start to adjust rates back down? And ultimately, where is that destination? I mean, a big question mark is, for me, is where is that neutral rate once we ultimately get through this reopening period? There's a lot of uncertainty around that. There are good arguments to suggest we're gonna go back to the old rate environment, but there are also compelling arguments to suggest we could be in a longer, higher rate environment going forward. You know, we're gonna have to see how the economy performs before we draw any firm conclusions. Your, your gut, though, just in terms of I mean, it sounds like you think it is going to be higher rate structure. You know, it, the, uh, it seems like there's some big fundamental changes in our economy that have been longer lasting than I expected. I'll give you an example. When the pandemic hit and the services economy was shut, people were flooding the goods market. And so you saw huge goods inflation and goods supply chains were uh, stressed. Now that the services economy is reopened, remarkably, people are still buying more goods than they did before the pandemic. So it seems like there are some longer lived changes in consumer behavior that we're having to pay attention to. And especially when you think about work from home, it doesn't seem like we're going back to the old world. Uh, we may still adjust from here, but not go fully back. It seems like there are longer lived changes in behavior of businesses and of consumers. 
and how that plays out into the rate environment, we're going to have to see. President Kashkari, thank you. Neil Kashkari from the Minneapolis Fed. Squawk Sports is not going to be the name of this No, thing. but Twitter has come up with some really good proposals for this sports streaming uh, yeah, what project. Do you got? Trifecta. It's not bad. Fan Fusion Sports. Score with an exclamation point at the end of it. Mm, and I think then, score is, is not going to be trademarkable. Yeah, maybe not. Uh, the control room with Paul DePavio came up with one, too. Yeah, what's that? Athletic supporter. That's not bad. <laughs> That's not bad. But totally not surprising that DeFebo uh, would, would come up with, uh, with that. Yeah. At least right. who reported it to me. Um, anyway, keep the suggestions coming. We'd like to prove that, yes, we too can do the work of consultants. Cheese will be next. Coming up, Rich Kleiman. The sports entrepreneur is the longtime manager of NBA player Kevin Durant. He joins us on how a new streaming service will change sports media, no matter what it's called. I like the move, and I think for ESPN especially, I love the move. That's next on Squawk Pod. I got it. I got, got what? It. The name? The Wide World of Sports. The Wide World of Sports? <laughs> wide <laughs> World of Sports. Canceled Here, in 1998. the good news. The good like, news is the that's owned, owned by ABC. Is it still owned? It's I canceled. Imagine. What? Okay, the ag- From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. Welcome back to Squawk Box. ESPN, Fox, Warner Brothers Discovery all saying they now plan to launch a joint sports streaming service this fall. The plan uh, could pose a big new challenge to the traditional cable bundle. Joining us right now is boardroom co-founder and CEO Rich Kleiman. He's the longtime manager of Kevin Durant, has investments in all sorts of pieces of the sports ecosystem. What did you make of this? Uh, I liked it. I liked it when I first heard it. I liked the idea of there continuing to be optionality. I like the idea of super serving sports fans. And I think that it's obviously in reaction to what we know is inevitable with cable long term. But there's still a lot of questions to be answered. So those questions in your mind are? Well, one is this, you know, for them, is this going to be an opportunity for them to start bidding on rights together and to compete with the tech companies? I think also you have to build a brand, you know, just to say that they're going to have the sports rights and they're going to create a new streaming service. They're going to have to put an executive team in place and build a brand. But I like the idea of it. They're still missing out on CBS and NBC. Warner's obviously talking to Paramount. So maybe that ends up answering that question. But I like the move. And I think for ESPN especially, I love the move. My understanding, and I did some reporting on this last night, is that they all want to be bidding on sports independently. And the view is that if they were to start bidding collectively, all of a sudden, Lena Khan, Department of Justice, others, then all of a sudden this looks like a different deal to them. Then it actually looks like a merger. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think that's a concern. I was reading a lot about what that concern could be down the road. But I also think that ESPN and some of these companies are still going to go bid independently and then be able to throw it into this bundle. Again, it's already an incredibly fractured streaming landscape. So I think right. giving this optionality, targeting this towards just sports fans, is what the but how much is. of this is going? So part of the the move here is to try to take 
sports fans that have already unbundled and get them back into some kind of bundle. But the other question is how much of this is going to accelerate the debundling of the current model and then what that ultimately means, even to these companies, by the way, because they're going to have a smaller number of people ostensibly buying this package than might be on the larger bundle. Yeah, but I think it has more to do with answering the idea that people are still holding on to traditional cable only for sports rights. And I think that optionality is what's great. I think what else they're going to add to this or if this will strictly be a sports streaming service is also something I'm interested to see. Again, you have to build a brand. You can't just put these things up with rights. So I think that's more in line with a reaction to cable, to be honest with you. What, what, what happens just in terms of the pricing structure, which hasn't been announced yet? They haven't announced it. Yeah. And also, I think one thing I read was, you know, even though they all three own it a third, a third, a third, depending on what their deal was and their rights setup was with each league through the cable broadcaster, then you'll see. So ESPN, for all intents and purposes, will make more on a distribution. More of the revenue coming right. back yeah. in. But what, but what would be, in your mind, too high of a price? What would be... Well, it can't be priced with cable because then you're getting cable and you're getting all the other channels. So I think it's probably somewhere in the 40 to right. $50 range. And I think the conundrum in truth, by the way, is once you start to add in an NBC Sports or a CBS, like, meaning then the package actually becomes like cable and it's the same, same kind of pricing issue. My separate question to you was going to be about pricing of, of sports teams. Yep. Do you believe we are at an all-time high and, uh, or this is, keeps going? There was always a question about regional sports networks, which was really yep. a huge part of the value prop. That's come undone. But the price of teams has not come down yet. No, and I don't think it will. I mean, I think some leagues could slow more than others, but the scarcity is still there. The demand is still there. You see from the news yesterday how much focus there is around sports fans. Um, and you understand the culture around sports. It's never been greater. So, no, I don't think so. And there's so many people that want in. When you think about the NBA, yeah. this is now the next big deal. You think that whatever deal they get this time, they're going to get an even higher deal a decade from now? I mean, I would like to hope so. And right. at that point, I would hope Kevin was still playing, if that's the case, <laughs> even though he'd be 45. But, uh, yeah, I mean, listen. I think the deal is going to be staggering, and I think it's deservedly so. And I, I don't see any indication that the culture of the NBA, the business, and the globalization of the NBA is slowing down in any way. Do you think there's enough scale now for an Amazon or even a Netflix? I mean, Netflix says they don't want to be in the sports business, but with wrestling and they're everything else, they're sort they, of yeah. in the sports business. That they'll, there'll be a moment where they're going to have enough scale that you won't need the classic linear channels to participate at all. Sadly, yes. I think at some point, I don't think we're there now. I think as much as some people would like to expedite it, I think the reality of it is that there's like a learned behavior, especially from a large portion of society that is not just going to jump ship overnight because of the announcement of like a sports bundle. But I think a lot of fans will look at it. A lot of people will look at it. I will look at it and go, am I even paying cable for the right reason now? Not as much to save money, but to be conscious just of right. what I'm doing, right? And I think the, the fractured nature of it is now you have to figure out what the best offering for it's you a is. If, if, a if Kevin could score 30 points every night, and I take him to score over 25. Uh, we're talking about gambling again? And then in the fourth quarter, the, his, the team is so far ahead that he sits on the bench with 18 points, even though I know he could score 30 and help me. What, what do you suggest I do? Not bet on him to do the You sound like someone that shouldn't be gambling. 
What do you think the name of, what do you think, he could do 30 every night, Beal had 50 points. He averages 30 every night. I know, but you can't count on it. Well, that's gambling. You took the wrong night. I'm sorry. Are you are you gambling in game? By the way. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, I, I do it all. I'm no, no, fun. but I mean, fun. No, sometimes. Sometimes the way I gamble in game. Let's say a team is is an underdog by three points and they're down by fifteen. Normally, by the end of the game, they're down by like three. That's right. because these guys are so and good. Then you'll, so that's when you put the bet on when they're down right. fifteen. Um, what do you think the name of this should be? If I offer you, yeah, he's a branding guy. Ten million dollars. This is a good question. To come up with the name of these. The, the streaming Someone just service. came up with Parlay. Parlay is a good name just because it's easy to say and mm. it's it, it imply factors in a little bit of the, wow. the gambling phenomenon. You, you like Parlay? You like? I think I, Parlay. He didn't like this. I like Wide World of Sports, but he says that that may have been. Been used before? It was a little it, old. It, yeah, it hasn't been used before. You don't have a, a good one, do you? You're right a branding off the top expert of and you're head. on the spot. And you charge all this money for branding and you have no you idea what to call it. Call it I, I got one. I got one. It's call I got board one. Room. I got okay, one. I want to hear it. The Sports Watch. That's not bad. How about Fanfare? Wait, hold on. Just admit right off the top of my head. That was good. I'm not paying you anything. No, no, it might not be the one. Kevin Durant either. He gets 30 every night and he got 18 that night. I can't help you. No. Nobody can. <laughs> I'm doing well. You know that. I've taken. I've been taking money out. I want to call it overtime. Overtime that is the name of another company. Yeah, no, I know. That's Boardroom. Oh, that's I taken. Boardroom. That's taken. For a fee. I'll give it to them for free if they want. Uh, Rich, thank you thank for being you guys. here. Appreciate it. Appreciate Sorry for the uh, the really tough no, questions over there. I know. That. I know. You only get yes. the toughest. Can't believe it. Right Sits out the this. fourth quarter. Sits out. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. And send us your suggestions for the new sports streaming alliance. We're on the X platform at Squawk CNBC. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern and follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.